Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Welcome to Arden. We're so glad we have so many faces here. Welcome to the group from Candler. So good to have you guys here. For those of you who don't know, I grew up in Candler, so uh, it's kind of personal to me. Uh, so welcome everyone who is your first time here. We just want you to feel right at home. We like to say this is a place where you can belong, believe, and become, and God is doing a great work in your life. We want to welcome to those listening online. Uh, we're praying for you as well. So let, let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, as we open up, we just pray that you would bless this time, bless the reading and proclamation of your word. Pray for everyone here and those listening online that they would just experience your presence. And Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place that you would do your work and your wonders that only can be attributed to God himself. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through a series, Paul's second missionary journey. We've entitled this Bridges and Barriers. And the idea behind Paul's second missionary journey is removing barriers and building bridges so that more people can hear the gospel. little preview, we're about to finish his second missionary journey, go into his third, and that's going to launch a new series. And we're going to talk about that more in a week to come. So what if I could take you guys on a time travel trip? How many of you would like that? How many of you would like to go back in time? Well, there's going to be a video playing behind me, and this is what they think an ancient city that we're going to talk about looked like. So this ancient city, it was much larger than Athens, only 50 miles from Athens, but much larger. Whereas Athens had a few thousand, this city, it's estimated, it had between 200 to 400,000, some even estimate as much as half a million people. This ancient city was the leading capital of the province of Achaia. It had all nationalities, all different ethnicities. It was a melting pot. What is the name of this city? Anybody want to guess? Corinth, you're right. In the New Testament time, it had such a melting pot. People that were Greeks and people from Italy and Roman army veterans, businessmen and women, Government officials, people from the Near East, a large number of Jews, and, of course, a large number of slaves. The city had new shops. It had been demolished years before, but it had been rebuilt. In 44 B.C., Julius Caesar reestablished Corinth as a Roman colony. And this new Corinth flourished. And you would see enlarged temples and fresh water supplies, numerous public buildings, government buildings, and much, much more. So as we look at this video, I just want you to enter in. Paul's getting ready to do ministry here. What was it like? What did Paul see? What did he feel? What was his experience like? Pastor Skip Isaac gives us some really good insights I want to bring to you about Corinth. It was known for four basic things. The first one was bronze works. For those of you who have been studying through the book of Acts, we see at the temple gate in Jerusalem, there were an amazing, beautiful gate. That's the name of it. It was 75 feet tall, made of pure bronze. Does anybody know where that bronze came from? Corinth. 
75 feet tall with bronze. Can you imagine that? So it was known for its bronze work. Secondly, it was known for its architecture. Even today, some builders will talk about Corinthian structure. And what they're referring to is the pillars of Corinth and the columns, a certain style of architecture. So as you go through this city visually, you're going to see some temples and columns and pillars. Third, Corinth was known for its sports. Every two years, they would have an amazing athletic competition. It was only rivaled by the Olympic Games in Athens, which was held every four years. This was held every two years. And this Olympic Games had so many people that would compete. And it took place in an amphitheater that held, get this, 14,000 people. And it was known as the Isthmian Games. And Corinth had a strategic location because it was located in an area that was on Isthmus. And ships would have to either sail around or they would have to roll the ships on this little journey that was a roadside that would kind of, you would drag the ship along with kind of a modern pulley and wheel system. And this little strip uh, wasn't turned into a canal until the 1800s. And finally, it's not just famous, but it's infamous. The fourth thing was immorality. Whenever you wanted to call someone a name, you'd call them a Corinthian. And ladies, whenever someone said the name, she's like a Corinthian, that was the worst blow you could give another lady. It meant she was like a prostitute. And in Corinth, you had the city. This is the amphitheater you're looking at now. You had the city, and behind the city, there was an elevated place that rose 1,900 feet, a huge hill behind the city. We're going to see a picture of that in a little bit. That was known as the Acropolis or the Acrocorinth. This city housed a famous temple to the goddess of love and beauty, Aphrodite. And get this, there were a thousand temple prostitutes. They called them priestess. And because they were so popular, they even held box seats at the place like the amphitheater. They were the, the temple prostitutes that made the city famous. And at night, they would descend from that 1,900 feet above And they would go into the cities and ply their wares and bring back much profit back to the temple. So when Paul went to Corinth, it was a different place. It was a difficult place because it was a moral place. But according to historians, because it was demolished and rebuilt, there was no building probably that was more than 100 years old. So Paul was looking at a brand new city. So as Paul enters into a second missionary journey, we're going to see him ministering into this place we're going to see him talking to people we're going to see him making an impact are you ready to take a journey in corinth today go and turn to acts 18 and we got some pictures let's go and flip to the pictures here so you see corinth and athens 50 miles apart and you see that little land strip in between that's where we're talking about the isthmus and it was located in a region called the peloponnesian peninsula Try to say that five times fast. Peloponnesian Peninsula. And uh, because it was such a seaport and people would come from all the different sides, uh, it it basically, whoever controlled that isthmus had a lot of money. It was a city of great wealth. All right, let's go to the next picture. You see the ancient ruins. It was demolished later after it was rebuilt. It was demolished. And if you go there today, you'll see the ancient ruins. And behind there, you see the Acropolis or the Acrocrinth, an elevated 
position, and that's where the temple to Aphrodite stood. So today, as we read Acts 18, I want to ask you one question. What would you do? How would you live if you knew that God is with you? How would your life be different? How would you live it if you really believed that God is with you? Let's look at Acts 18. We're going to read all 17 verses. And as you guys took that visual tour, I want you to take that tour through the scripture passage with me. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to where? Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So it was, he, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the Sabbath, in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. So we're going to pause there for just a moment. If you remember Athens, he reasoned daily, and now he's just reasoning on the Sabbath one day a week. And we're going to talk about why in a moment. Resume to verse 5. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. Now, other translations talk about the word compelled, and it's the idea of he devoted himself exclusively to the Scriptures. In other words, he was just going Sabbath, now he's doing it daily because of the arrival of Silas and Timothy. Verse 6, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said, Your blood be on your own hands, I am on your own heads, I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now, verse 5 is an interesting verse. Verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision. Listen to what Jesus says to him. Do not be afraid. I want to I just want to pause there and I'm wondering if God is going to speak through his word to someone today. Don't be afraid. I know you're worried about a lot of things, but don't be afraid. I know you're ready to give up, but don't be afraid. I know you want to quit, but don't be afraid. Look, look what Jesus says to him. Don't be afraid and do not keep silent. And verse 10 is so rich. Why? For I am with you. And no one will attack you or to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. When Galio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it's a question of words and names and your own law, look to it for yourselves. For I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Then all the Greek 
all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Galio took no notice of these things. May God bless his word. So today we're going to talk about how would you live your life if you really believe that God was with you? How would you live your life? There's four actions of the person, of the man, the woman, the teenager, the child, who lives his or her life as though God were with him. Number one, if you live like God is with you, you'll realize that you can't accomplish your life mission alone. If you look at verses one through three, Paul is all alone, but then he meets a lovely couple. What are their names? Aquila and Priscilla, right? And what's interesting is they have a lot in common. They both are Jews, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila have been just kicked out of Rome, right? Paul, guess what? He's been kicked out of almost every city he's been in. Uh, they both share the same trade. They're both what? Tent makers. Literally, it's leather workers. So it's not just tents. They're, they're leather workers. And what's interesting in the Jewish synagogue, this is quite fascinating, they would divide, typically most Jewish synagogues, they would divide the congregation. Women would be on one side. Men would be on another side. And get this, the men would be divided by the occupation. So all the, the bakers set together, all the craftsmen set together, all the tent makers set together, and you would be considered part of your guild. So you would sit by people that you worshipped with. So most likely, Paul met Aquila and Priscilla where? Probably right there in this, the temple, right? Because they had similar occupation. But what we need to realize is Paul arrives in Corinthian. In Corinth, about, it's the year is about eighty fifty. As he arrives, he's alone. But you notice he seeks out people. And what I want you guys to get from this is that we are meant to live in community. God has designed us to live in community. Like you can't do this alone. For those of you who are, say, 40 plus, you you remember watching a show. It was The Lone Ranger, right? Anybody remember that show? And The Lone Ranger wasn't alone, though, right? He had a, a sidekick named Tonto. How many of you under 40 know what I'm talking about? All right, some of you, all right. When I was growing up, my brother and I and others, we used to watch Jean-Claude. Yeah, we say Van Darn in the Baptist church, so (laughs) just kidding. You guys will get that later. So Jean-Claude would basically take on a city by himself, right? He would just do karate kicks and and he would destroy the city. Now, I don't, who's the superhero now that does that? You don't see that much anymore, right? It's usually a team. So here's the point that, Maybe you see it on movies, they do it alone. But biblically, even the Apostle Paul needed people. So he united with his couple, he lived with them. And as the scripture mentions, they're from Pontus, they've been kicked out. They're believers in Jesus Christ from all that we could tell. They're tent makers by trade. And what's interesting, and we're not going to do an exhaustive study, but just a few highlights. If you follow Aquila and Priscilla throughout Paul's ministry... This couple stays with him throughout his ministry. They're lifelong friends. Even as they part ways to different cities, Aquila and Priscilla are right there. And you're like, how do you know that? Second Timothy, Paul's last letter, the last chapter, he greets Aquila and Priscilla. And by the way, normally it's Priscilla first. Did you ladies know that? Four out of six times, the woman is mentioned first. Which, by the way, that was rare in biblical days. And they always had a reason why. And I asked the first service why Priscilla was mentioned first. Anybody want to guess? Take a guess. Someone says because she was from nobility, probably had a lot of wealth. That's a possibility. I think even more likely 
is because she stood out in the ministry, kind of like Lydia in Philippi. Priscilla just had an amazing ability to do ministry. And we're going to see later, this is preview for next week, the famous Apollos. Don't think Rocky Balboa, different Apollos. This is the guy that was the, the orator, the preacher. He did very well in speaking, but he didn't fully understand all the dynamics of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So guess who taught them? Guess who taught the famous pastor? Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside and said, listen, you're a gifted communicator, but here's the rest of the gospel message. Also interesting, as you read through scripture, um, they would often start a church in their home. We, we find out in 1 Corinthians 16, 19, that Priscilla and Aquila, it said, greet them in the church that's in their home. So these were businessmen and women. These were entrepreneurs. And because they did well, most likely financially, their home was large enough to host the local church in Corinth, or at least part of it. And Paul eventually took them to Ephesus, and they assisted Paul there. And eventually they made their way back to Rome. Cross-references, Romans 16, 3 through 5. And guess what they did when they went back to Rome? They started another house church. So here, here, here's a point I want to bring before we go to the next principle, is that this is one of the few couples in the New Testament, few Christian couples, that they're always doing ministry together. You never see them apart. And all six times you see them, it's Priscilla and Aquila. They're always together. I mean, we don't have many other Christian couples as an example in the New Testament. Who do you have, Ananias and Sapphira? What happened to them? Right? It could be speculated whether they're Christian or not. Uh, Peter had a wife, but you never really hear about her until you know, her, his mother-in-law is sick. But Priscilla and Aquila, they did ministry together. And I think they're a good example for all of us that they respected each other's gifts. And even though Priscilla had many dominant gifts, the husband, he didn't, that didn't intimidate him. He knew that she had a calling, she had a ministry, and they worked together. And I think that's something that we could definitely look at. And I want to ask you a question before we move on to the next principle. What would have happened if Paul never got kicked out of the previous cities? What if he would have stayed in Athens? What if he would have stayed in Philippi? What if he didn't get arrested? He never would have met Aquila and Priscilla. You ever think about that? And here's the principle I want to bring to your souls to really encourage you. When you're serving God, when you're following his plan, even the worst thing that happens to you can be the best thing that happens for you. See, Paul had no idea when he got kicked out of the last city, when he got ran out of town. He had no idea, even though I'm leaving this place, I'm getting ready to meet this couple that's going to be a lifelong friend. I'm going to meet this couple that's going to be by my side. Paul, in a later part of the Bible, says Priscilla and Aquila even risked their own lives for his sake. And what's fascinating, as I read about them, it never mentions Paul ministering to them. It always talks about how they helped Paul, how they ministered to Paul. And I think you've got to realize that God uses people in your life to help you to fulfill his mission. As the old saying goes, and you guys say it with me, it takes teamwork to make the dream work. When you're living your life as though God is with you, your life will surely show it. All right, second principle Don't give up when the going gets tough. And we see this almost in every paragraph of Acts. Look at verse 4. Paul reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both the Jews and the Greeks. So I want you to see that Paul stayed on mission no matter what. It'd be so easy. You know, you get kicked out of the last town. You get kicked out of prison. There's a death threat. People are trying to kill you. Most of us would have just said, you know what, I'm going to watch someone else serve. But what we see here with Paul 
is at this point he's a bivocational minister. He is working Monday through Friday, or you you know, he took took Sabbath to preach, but basically at least six days a week he's working as a tent maker. And he's doing that to support himself so that he can preach at the synagogue on the Sabbath. And what I want to encourage you is look at the Apostle Paul's life. We see in Athens that he did ministry daily. Now he's doing it once a week. So here's the thing. We see Paul at Corinth. He is discouraged, but he's not out. And there there are seasons in your life where it's okay to still stay active, but to you know, not to be quite as intense as you were in another season. There's seasons where you have to take time to heal and restore. A lot of times we try to be the wounded healer who's healing others. We try to be the person that we're broken and we're trying to help someone else that's broken. And during those seasons, God will sometimes say, I want you to stay active, but I want you to use this season as a season of rest. Take a break. Recharge. Be be renewed. Be Used by God again. I can remember um, previously to this church. I was between churches. And I had been through a really rocky season. A really tough season at a church. And um, I didn't tell my brother I was going to use him as an illustration. But I'll ask for forgiveness later. But my brother Michael really encourages me with this. That even if you're not in a church. You don't drop out of church. So here's the thing. How many pastors have said you need to be in church. Be in church. And then they get hurt, and guess what? They stop going to church. How many of you have ever seen that? And what does that look like to the world? It makes us look like, I'm talking to pastors, hypocrites, right? So here's the thing. Even if you've been hurt, stay active. Sometimes a season of healing doesn't mean you drop out completely. Sometimes it's like Paul where he was just on the Sabbath, but he had his job. He was a bivocational minister. And back to the season I was in, During that season, I was a greeter in the church. I wasn't preaching. I wasn't, you know, teaching a lesson, teaching a class. I was just a church greeter. And that was my season of healing, but I stayed active. So I'd encourage you, even if you get hurt in a church, even if you have a season of healing, don't drop out. Stay active like Paul did. So notice what Paul did with his gospel. We can use this as a model. He started a conversation. Notice it says Paul reasoned. A conversation is something where there's two parties engaged. Make the gospel a dialogue and not a monologue. How many of you have ever had someone just preach to you but not talk with you? All right, we've all been there. Notice it says Paul reasoned. That word reason meant that they were asking questions. There was a back and forth. Stay consistent. Notice he reasoned how often? Every Sabbath. And what the watching world wants to see is consistency. Now, this may not be true for any of you, but some of your friends, we'll say it's your friends, they're on fire for Jesus one day, and then the next day they disappear, and you're like, they're gone. I haven't seen them in a year. And you're like, well, Johnny got discouraged. Sally dropped out. And it's like the watching world, when you claim that you're a Christ follower, they want to see consistency. They want your walk and your talk to match. Because the number one thing, the lost word, the lost world says is I would go to church, but the church is full of. Even though Paul was hurt, even though Paul walked with the limp, he stayed faithful. He stayed consistent and also be winsome. Notice it says Paul reasoned every Sabbath and he persuaded. You know, we realize the bulk of the power is in the message, right? We realize the message is where the power source is. 
But have you ever thought that God uses the messenger to present the message? You know, God could use an angel to preach the gospel. We'll see that at the end of tribulation. He sends an angel out. But until that time comes, he uses average, ordinary people like you and I. So be persuasive. Reason. We see everywhere Paul goes, he speaks to his audience. In Athens, the great intellectual center is kind of like a university town. He got very intellectual. We see in Corinth, we're going to see him use a different approach. Everywhere he goes, he adapts his approach without changing the message to connect with his audience. We see that Paul shows a high level of gospel grit. And when you have gospel grit, you don't. So he kept going. Even though Paul could have drifted aside, he kept staying true. Paul stays true even though from city to city people beat him black and blue. Paul stands tall even when the world is trying to make him fall. Because you see, friends, that when you have God with you, when you live as though God is with you, your life will surely show it. All right, number three. Everyone online say amen in the chat. We're watching right now. Just kidding. All right, number three. Stay passionate about your purpose even when the critics come out of the closet. And we see this theme in almost every city, right? Paul preaches. And isn't there a law of science for every action? There's a common opposite. Yeah. So we see the audience that didn't like Jesus. They're reacting. Notice in verse number five, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the spirit. As I mentioned, other translations translate that he devoted himself exclusively to the word. And you're like, well, what changed in verse five when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia? We find the answer out in the book of Corinth, first, second Corinthians. And also we look at the book of Philippians. Does anybody know what happened? What did Paul's associates bring to him? They bring, brought to him a love offering, right? So Paul went from working six days a week and ministering one day a week in far synagogue to now he's full time in the ministry. So for anyone that's involved in ministry, I just want to encourage you with this. There may be a season that you're bivocational. That's okay. We saw Paul bivocational. And now money is brought to Paul where he can devote himself exclusively to the ministry full time. And, you know, from, from the casual reader, we may look at this and say, that's a shame that Paul couldn't have been full time in the ministry. Think about his gifting. Think about how many people he could reach. But you think about God's sovereignty. God had a plan for Paul. It wasn't by mistake or coincidence that he was bivocational. God was developing Paul and he was doing something in Paul that would show up later on. So when we see the shift in Paul's ministry, we see Paul's passion being elevated. Notice Paul was compelled by the spirit. He testified and notice verse six, but they opposed him and blasphemed him. So here's the idea. The people that rejected Paul, they opposed him. And we'll see this later. Some are trying to kick him out of town again. Blasphemed is basically they cur- they're cursing Jesus. Have you ever heard people curse the name of Jesus? It's everywhere you go, right? In the gym and stores, they say Jesus' name in vain. Well, that's nothing new. It happened here. So Paul did something that's kind of unorthodox. He shook his clothes and he said, your blood be on your own hands. I'm, done. I'm through with this. Now I'm going to the Gentiles. And you're like, well, what does it mean to shake your clothes? Like, I'm, I'm done with this. Well, in today's modern equivalent, it's like I'm deleting you from Facebook. I'm unfollowing you on Twitter. I'm not looking at your Instagram post. Listen, you guys are coming against me. I'm going on to where 
I can present the gospel. So he shifts from the Jews to the Gentiles. All right, number four. How do you live? How does your life change when you live as though God is with you? Number four, trust God to bring eternal good even out of a temporary bad situation. How many of you find yourself in a bad situation today? How many of you find yourself in a situation the doctor's report doesn't look good? You have someone in your family that has a a chronic illness, maybe mentally, physically. Some of you find yourself in a financial hardship. You know, since 2020, you've been beaten up black and blue and you're, you're, you're limping in 2022. What I want you to do is look at this verse back at verse seven. Notice what Paul does next. And he departed from there, talking about the synagogue that kicked him out. And he entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshiped God. Notice the next phrase, whose house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> so how ironic. Think about this. If you got kicked out of a place. How many of you would like go far away, like at least 10 miles down the road or another city? That would be me. Paul went next door. <laughs> He's like, all right, you kicked me out. I'm going to go. And who's the person whose house was it? Justice. Now, I don't know if this is in, true in the Greek, but in the English, the word justice means something. And it's like Paul gets kicked out. And guess what? He's in justice's house and he gets saved now. And to make matters even more amazing... Who's the next person that gets saved? Look at the next one. Justice. And who was a synagogue ruler? Crispus. That sounds like a candy bar, doesn't it? You remember the Crispus or the Crunch, whatever it is. Uh, I'm kind of hungry right now. But the thing about Crispus is he led the very synagogue that just kicked Paul out. And what we're going to find out later, Crispus gets fired from being the synagogue ruler. Because there's another guy that takes over named Sosthenes. So here's the thing about Paul that we can see is there's a gospel ripple effect. You get a bad thing that happens to you, but instead of quitting, you stay legit. You stay in gospel grit. You don't quit. You keep going on. So Paul went to the next door, led that person to Christ. And guess guess what's happening? The worst thing that happened to Paul was not the worst thing that happened to Paul. It turned to be a blessing in disguise. And some of you will look back on your life. Some of you married folk can look at. Have you ever met someone that you dated like 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago? And you're like, thank God that prayer wasn't answered. You're like, thank you, Jesus. And here's the thing. You look back and you're like, God, I realize that you were watching out for me. I realized when I was 18 and I got that heartbreak, I thought my life was over. But guess what? My life was just beginning. Sometimes the, the greatest rejection turns to be the greatest opportunity in disguise. So some of you may have just lost your job. I don't know who I'm talking to. Some of you may have been kicked out of a situation. But what you may not realize is God may be turning that setback into a setup. He may be turning the worst thing to ever happen to you into the best thing that will happen for you. So God will use situations. And I want you to skip down. This is interesting. Notice in verse number skip down to the very end of the chapter you notice not the verse 17 i'm sorry verse 17 it says then the greeks took sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue and beat him before the judgment seat but galio took no notice of these things and you're like well what's happening here well sosthenes is the new ruler of the synagogue okay 
And most likely, he's the one that's presenting the case against Paul. He's like, this guy has caused us nothing but problems for all these months. We want him out of the city. Most likely, he wants to see Paul beaten, right, and kicked out of town as he's been in other towns. And guess what happens? Anybody ever heard of the term poetic justice? Instead of Sosthenes having Paul beat, who gets beat here? Sosthenes, the very guy that's presenting the case. The Greeks are like, man, you Jews are causing problems. So they beat him instead. But guess what? That's not the end of Sosthenes. I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 1.1. This is Paul talking to the church. And this is quite fascinating. He says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, it could be a different Sosthenes. It could. But most likely, this is the same guy that wanted to run Paul out of town. This is the same guy that perhaps wanted Paul to get beaten within three years when Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. Guess what happens to Sosthenes? He becomes a believer and he becomes a leader at the church that he tried to run out of town. What if God is doing something behind the scenes that your eyes can't see? What if he's working in your marriage in a situation that you can't see? What if he's working in your kids in a way that if you could see 10 years from now, it would blow you away? So Sosthenes, the very one that tried to push Paul out of town, is now a leader in the church. If I remember, didn't that happen to somebody else in the book of Acts? Saul from Tarsus was trying to exterminate the church. And what happened to him? The same exact thing. He was trying to destroy the church and he became a leader of the church. Now, I want to I close with an encouraging thought. If you go back to the middle of the scripture, and this is something, Scott, we didn't plan this in advance, but this is the verse he brought out, and this is the verse I'm closing on. Look at verse 9. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak. Do not keep silent. For I am, I am what? I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. So here's the thing. Paul was discouraged. And you're like, well, how do you know Paul was discouraged? Well, if God says don't be afraid, that means that Paul was afraid. And you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when you get home. Paul talking to the same church a few years later. He said, when I came to you, I was in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Weakness, fear, much trembling. And you're like, why was he in weakness and fear much trembling? Well, if you had been almost killed in every city you've been a part of, if you've been in jail so many times and people are running you out of city after city, I would be a little in weakness and fear much trembling, right? Are they going to do it again? But notice what happens next. This is so beautiful. He says, I have many people in this city. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. Feel free to speak out loud. Uh, There's only a few converts in this house church. That's not many people. How does God have many people in this city if only a few people have gotten saved? Anybody want to try to answer that? I mean, I look at this house church, there's Crispus and there's Justice and Paul, Aquila, Priscilla. That's not many people. Who are you talking about, Lord? What's that? Okay, use the big word. What, what, What we see here is that God knows in advance what's going to happen. So here's the thing. We see people as those who are not followers. What God saw them as, these are my future followers. These are people after they hear the gospel, 
they're going to accept Christ. Now, there's a debate about predestination. We're not going to go there, but here's the way I see it. God knows everything before it happens. Can't we all agree on that? He already knows. And here's a reference I want you guys to write down. It's mind-boggling. Revelation 17:8. You can look it up later. But it's talking about during the tribulation. It talks about people that worship the beast and the Antichrist, all that. It says, whose names were not written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And you're like, what is that saying? I'll get this. This is really cool. Before God made the world, before God made you and I, in advance, he knew those who would get saved. So it's not like open theism where God's trying to figure out the future as it happens. He already knows what's going to happen. Now, there's been debates on both sides about that. We're not going to go there. But we, what we all agree on is God knows in advance. Amen. So here, here's the practical application. Some of you may be on the verge of giving up. And after reading this scripture, you're going to look at this and God's going to say, don't give up. I got much people in Hendersonville. Don't give up. I got much people in Asheville. I got much people in Leicester and Candler and Waynesville. I got much people. And you're like, God, I look around my neighborhood. They're all lost and, you know, rebelling against you. And all of a sudden you, you feel the spirit knock on your door and say, I've called you to tell the gospel to them. Don't give up, Paul. I have much people in this city. Fast forward three years and beyond those much people that heard the gospel through Paul's one and a half years. There was a church started called the church at Corinth. And they were a messed up church. You can read it. It was messed up because it's a church in Las Vegas, so to speak. This is Sin City. So a lot of them had messed up backgrounds. So Paul wrote two letters to try to help them to understand what it was like to follow Jesus. So let's throw the big idea on the screen. When you live like God is with you, then your life will surely show it. You guys remember the song, if you're happy and you know it. And then it goes on, then your life will surely show it. Well, here's the thing. If you really just this one phrase I want to tattoo on your soul. If you really believe that God was with you. Would your life really change? So you're like, it's easy to say God is with Paul because Jesus appeared in a vision at night and said, Paul, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Can I take you back to the end of Matthew? Matthew 28, 20. Jesus gives the great commission, make disciples of all nations. Then in verse 20, he says, surely I am. Say it. I am with you. So listen, you don't need a vision in the night. See, Paul didn't have, I mean, he was, God was using him to write part of the scriptures. He didn't have a complete 66 books of the Bible like we had. He had the Old Testament, right? But see, you guys already have the words of Christ. So if you are a follower of Jesus who is following Jesus, you can claim that promise. God is with me. So if God is with you, how will your life change? I got three application steps. Number one. Join a ministry team. You can't do this alone. You know, some of you may relate more to Paul. You're the pioneer missionary. You're going to get out there and get the gospel out. Some of you, that, that scares you to death, right? Think about. But, you know, with Paul was Priscilla and Aquila. These were business owners, entrepreneurs, and they worked together. And what I want to encourage you, not everyone's designed like the Apostle Paul. Not all of you have this, you know, I almost get killed and I keep going, you know. But here's the thing. How has God used you? How has he wired you? Use that. But realize you can't do it alone. 
Even Jesus had 12 apostles around him, right? And he was the son of God. He, could have, he spoke and worlds came into existence, but he knew the way he created the world. He created us for community. So find your place in the body. Find a ministry team and join that. All right, number two, start a gospel conversation this week. And you're like, Timothy, you're saying this every week. I know, it's on purpose. We're starting to get emails in from you guys. People are having gospel conversations. We're starting to see people share and I would encourage you, our goal this year is to have how many? A thousand. We've got a long ways to go. We're probably up to 20, okay? So we've got a long ways to go. So where you live, work, and play, try to have a beeline to the cross. Try to find a way. If you go to the gym, maybe it's buying the people lunch and saying, by the way, the reason why I'm doing this is this. Maybe it's for those of you who have companies where you either own the company or employee. Maybe it's buying your fellow employees lunch. And the reason why I'm doing it, you know, earn a right to have a conversation. All right, and finally, believe that God will bring something good out of the bad situation you're in. 100% of you are either in a bad situation or you're about to go into one. And you're like, Timothy, that doesn't sound very positive. It's not, but it's life, okay? There's no prosperity gospel here. We believe Bad things do happen in our world. But here's the thing. If you are following God, he can take the worst thing that happened to you and turn it into the best thing that happened for you from an eternity perspective. The caveat, you may not see it this side of eternity. It may be when you get to heaven, you're like, wow, that person got saved because I went through this. I never saw it. You may never see it this side of eternity. But the, 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 the motivation is I'm doing it for God. And if I'm doing it for him, He's going to be with me. He's going to be for me. He's going to see me through this. Let's pray. Father, your word is true and it's powerful. And God, we got to take a trip through Corinth. And as we followed Paul's footsteps through that amazing city, that metropolitan city, we saw Paul taking the same gospel message and using it to minister to others. And right now, I just want to pray for believers, no one looking around. There may be someone here that you've been hurt, just like Paul. You've had people in the church or people in your family that claim the name of Jesus, that fall, that claim Christ, but yet they've hurt you. And because of that, you've stopped doing what God's called you to do. You've said, I'm done with it. I'm through with it. The church is full of you know what. And that's been what you've struggled with. And what you've seen today through the scripture is Paul, even when he was hurt, even when he was hurt by his fellow Jewish people, he didn't give up. But he kept going. There was times where he needed healing and he took times of healing. But he kept going. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're here today or listening online and maybe you've been hurt, maybe you just don't feel like you've got it in you. I just want to encourage you, you can't do it apart from the power of of the Holy Spirit. So just ask God right now. Say, God, I realize I need your encouragement. I've been hurt. I'm weary. But Lord, I, I'm, I'm believing the verse that you told Paul that I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't give up. Don't be silent. And just tell God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for not sharing you and doing what you've called me to do as I should. Please forgive me. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that you're a future follower. And what I mean by that is you've never asked Jesus to save you. See, friends, we are born spiritually dead. And Jesus, he died on the cross and 
He came to life the third day, resurrected the third day, so that we could have life. And if you don't have the life of Jesus living inside of you, through the person of the Holy Spirit, I want right where you're sitting, whether in person or online, I want you to invite Jesus, the God of heaven and the God of earth, the God who came to earth for you, to save you. Say this prayer. Say, Jesus, just say it to him. You don't have to say it out loud. Just say, Jesus, I believe the gospel. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose the third day to new life. And Jesus, I need the new life that you offer. And Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. I turn from them so I could turn to you. Jesus, save me. Tell him now, Jesus, save me. I choose to follow you. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We love you and we give you the utmost praise, honor, and glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Bless you.